The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good morning. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters. Here's your top five at five. Hey, call it a price plateau. January inflation numbers coming in hotter than expected. Investors weighing what that could mean for a possible Fed policy pivot. And despite the higher-than-expected read, there appears to be a major sentiment shift in the C-suites of some of Wall Street's biggest banks. You've got Brian Moynihan, David Solomon, and others weighing in. Hey, the banks may be bullish, but Buffett and Berkshire are taking a new bearish view on uh, some of the key financial sector holdings. We are whale-watching in just a moment. Plus, what did Elon Musk do on Super Bowl Sunday that's throwing some cold water on his pledge to make the platform an even playing field and later the get out and travel trade going strong as a bet industry bellwether posts its first annual profit ever why my next guest says that stock has way more room to run look this is wednesday february 15th 2023 you're watching worldwide exchange on cnbc good morning everybody i'm contessa brewer in for brian sullivan this morning let's kick things off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a mixed day for stocks that saw the Dow lower, the S&P flat, and the Nasdaq closing out the day in the green. But as you can see, futures across the board here are in the red. We've got the Dow Jones futures implied opening down 62 points and the Nasdaq implied opening down 53 at this point. Investors are continuing to digest the January CPI report that showed inflation growing at a higher than expected 6.4 percent annual rate. Let's check the bond market near the 10-year holding steady just under 3.8 percent. You've got the two-year note at 4.597 percent yield. That's lower this morning. And and, uh, I mentioned the 10-year as well. Okay, so in energy, oil is making another sharp move lower. We're seeing a lot of red here this morning. You've got WTI crude down 1.4 percent and Brent off by 1.2 percent. Nat gas is down three quarters of a percentage point. In crypto, we're seeing Bitcoin under pressure this morning, hovering just about $22,000. It's off uh, two-tenths of a percent this morning. Let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade in Europe. Arabile Gudame is standing by in our London newsroom. Arabile? Yeah, good morning, Contessa. Look, the market has certainly been uh, faltering a little bit to start off the trading day, but has now shifted into some positive territory. Really, some of the key reasons for this has been some of the earnings news, which we'll touch on in just a moment or two. But other interesting factors, as we've noted, the U.S. uh, inflation number coming in a little bit hotter than expected. But on the U.K. side, 10.1% is the figure to have come out when it comes to that inflation number. That is even better than initially anticipated, and of course lower than the 10.5% that was reported previously. But... It is still double digits, so a lot more room still to move for the Bank of England when it comes to that inflation figure. 
As I noted then, of course, uh, the interesting part will be the earnings numbers that have certainly come out today across Europe. So the market moving generally in what was a positive movement now, having seen the FTSE 100 sit in quite some negative territory. Speaking of those numbers uh, in terms of the earnings season, Heineken posting a 24% increase in operating profit before one-offs last year. That's thanks to a sharp recovery, particularly out in Asia. Now, the Dutch brewer backed its forecast that profit would be able to jump. That is by a mid to higher single-digit percentage moving on for this year. On the other side of the scale, we've got the luxury brand Caring Sales, which were down 7% in the fourth quarter. That comes now as Gucci's revenue slumped 14%. Now, the French luxury group says, despite missing expectations, it's had a very encouraging start to the year as China reopens. Of course, it does also have a new uh, fashion leader there as well, coming to the fore, which will take over very soon in this Q1, 4% higher there. Barclays also posting a 14% decline in annual profit. That's due to cost related to overselling securities in the United States. The British bank reporting a full-year pre-tax profit of £7 billion just below analyst expect, uh, expectations. Separately this morning, the bank refuted a Times of London report that it is winding down its consumer lending business. However, Barclays did say its technology platform will pause onboarding new retail partners. That's the look then at how things are looking across Europe. Certainly a slightly better uh, positive picture for now. Contessa. Arabile, thank you so much for that. Have a great day today. Let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories now. Some big moves by money manager Silvano Hanawa's details on the latest batch of 13F filings. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Contessa. Good morning. Well, hedge funds were very busy at the end of 2022, and investors finally getting a look at their books. Among the biggest moves, David Tepper's Appaloosa building a stake in Disney to the tune of about 300,000 shares. That's a sharp change from the previous quarter, where it actually dumped its 50,000 share position in the company. Tepper also building a stake in Caesars Entertainment and adding to his position in Salesforce. Michael Burry, who rose to fame for his big short call ahead of the financial crisis, among those betting big on China. Burry adding new positions in JD.com and Alibaba, along with Farallon Capital Management and Coa2 Management. And Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway says it slashed its stake in Taiwan Semiconductor by more than 85 percent. That's roughly three months after announcing its more than $4 billion investment in the company. Berkshire also divesting the majority of its holding in U.S. Bancorp and BNY Mellon to the tune of about $5.5 billion. Contessa, some big moves there. Silvana, thank you very much for that. And might be a lot of uh, traders getting a cue today. Yep. Back to the broader markets and executives at some of Wall Street's biggest banks. Changing their tune on the economy, the odds of a recession, and if the Fed can pull off a soft landing, the latest. Here's Goldman Sachs CEO David Sp- Solomon speaking at a Credit Suisse event late yesterday. He says the consensus has shifted to be a little more dovish in the CEO community, that we can navigate through this with a softer landing than what people would have expected six months ago. Solomon's sentiment shift echoed by Bank of America's Brian Moynihan on this network yesterday. Our team has a recession predicted. They've moved it out another quarter recently to start in the third quarter, fourth quarter, first quarter next year. They've lessened the impact. And I think people are sort of coalescing on this idea that maybe this thing is a not a soft landing, i.e. no recession, but maybe a more mild recession. And the delay is due to the strength of consumer and other things. But the Fed's going to have to get inflation where they want it. And that means they're going to hold rates higher. And that's the conundrum that's going around the market. 
And it's not just Moynihan. KeyBank CEO Chris Gorman says the consumer is extremely resilient. I don't think it'll be a particularly deep recession, but the reason I believe that rates will stay higher for longer is I think it's going to take some time um, for the consumer to really uh, burn through the excess cash that they have. Um, and I, I just think it's, I think it's going to be, you know, a, a long but, but stable road. Let's dive in. Van Lanshot, Kemp and Chief Economist Annika Trion joins me on this Wednesday morning. It's good to see you, Annika. When we're talking about this view that the Fed may have to keep raising rates, that, that inflation is not coming down as fast as the markets might hope, are we sort of just seeing the markets shrugging at this point? I mean, it, it seemed like a fairly muted reaction yesterday to the CPI print. It, it, doesn't, it does indeed feel like markets are starting to get complacent. And there's two ways of reading those tea leaves. On one hand, you would argue it's the job of markets to be forward-looking. We've been busy with this recessionary rhetoric for over six months. This is you know, arguably one of the most anticipated recessions in a very long period of time, should it, should it pan out. Um, the, second, the second point, which is obviously important, is, well, what, how, how is the Fed going to continue? That depends very much on how inflation data is coming in. And I think the point that markets sometimes overlook and sometimes miss is the fact that the Fed is really working off backward-looking indicators instead of forward-looking, backward-looking. So the Fed is likely to want a few consistent quarters of proof that inflation is coming down to a more sustainable level before making that policy U-turn. And there the market might be a little bit ahead of itself. And, and what kind of factors do you think enter into the conversation? What are you looking for to indicate that we're still on this decline and heading for a soft landing? I mean, the labor market seems to be still a sticky concern. Well, absolutely. And it's, it's actually all about the labor market right now, because if you look at the baskets of inflation, the area that most people are zooming in on is services inflation, which is very much you know, triggered by wage inflation. And the issue with wage inflation is it tends to be quite sticky and it tends to be quite self-fulfilling. And that's something which we're all watching and we're all quite astounded at the strength of um, the labor market, the data that we received last last week. Are you seeing signs uh, still to come of a recession? I mean, we're starting to hear the, the talk softening a bit. Maybe we get a soft landing. Maybe it's not going to be as bad as we initially feared. What are you seeing? Well, indeed. So, you know, look at all the major outlooks of all the major players. You know, the word recession is plastered all over it. I think two, two very important things that are happening or have happened Number one, Europe. Europe has moved away from this sort of dire scenario of energy rationing, heavy recession, etc., to something much more benign thanks to, you know, better weather, successful gas storage. That's important. The other thing which is important, and again, I think, again, sometimes we miss the points. Let's take a step back. Why, um, you know, monetary policy is obviously supposed to be a key tool to calming down inflation. The odd thing now, however, is that you almost have a contradiction between monetary and fiscal policy. We've come from a world where, you know, whenever there's a problem, let's just throw money at it. That's the world we've come from. We've started to normalize that from a monetary policy perspective. But let's not forget, only a few months ago, governments were sending checks to people's homes in Europe, yeah. for example, and, and actually globally, to help them with the energy crisis. So that's, that makes the picture quite puzzling, actually.
on, on the heels of the checks going out throughout the pandemic, at least here in the United States. So uh, all of that combining for an interesting puzzle picture. Annika, thank you. Thanks. When we come back, your morning's big money movers and shares of one travel stock taking off ahead of the open. A similar story for shares of Airbnb after posting its first annual profit. And we talked to a top analyst who's raising his price target following that result. Later, Apple digging deep into the backgrounds of potential customers for its new buy now, pay later service. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Good Wednesday morning. Time now for your big money movers, starting with Devon Energy. Shares falling after both earnings and revenue came in below Wall Street expectations. The energy company citing a hit to oil and gas production from severe cold weather during the period, as well as a 1% increase in personnel costs. You can see it's down almost 7%. Shares of GoDaddy also taking a plunge on mixed quarterly earnings report. The company posted revenue that was in line with estimates, but it missed earnings by two cents. GoDaddy says it expects slower growth ahead amid news that it is laying off 35 employees at one facility. It's down two and a half percent. And TripAdvisor getting a bump after beating Wall Street estimates on both earnings and revenue. The online travel company is benefiting from an uptick in demand for travel and experiences with revenue for the fourth quarter growing. You ready for this one? 115 percent year over year. It's up more than 9% for TripAdvisor. And sticking with travel here, Airbnb posting its first annual profit ever, $1.9 billion, with earnings nearly doubling Wall Street expectations. The short-term rental company also benefited from strong travel demand and a surge in bookings for nights and experiences. But headwinds remain as negative cost pressures and lower rental rates could spell trouble for the stock that's already up nearly 50 percent this year. And as you can see, up nine and a half percent in the overnight trade. Joining me to discuss Brian Fitzgerald, Wells Fargo senior analyst. What did you like about this call? What stands out for you about the quarterly report and and where the company's going, Brian? Yeah, thanks, Contessa, for having us. Look, it was a solid print. Revenue and EBITDA were 2%, 17% ahead of the street. So we think this reflects strong travel demand, accelerating supply on the host side and improving profitability. We like their category leadership. We like their consistently strong execution and, and operating discipline with which they run the business. They managing their discipline when it comes to operating expenses. 
Yeah. So, so um, what you saw was even the margins expanded almost 5% year over year to 27%. That's a 4Q record. They expect to maintain this annual level of profitability in 23. That's about 35, 36% even the margins. Um, this is offset against the top line of you know, strong demand. Nights and experiences grew 20%, despite tough comps. Um, more importantly, uh, you know, 49% year-over-year cross-border growth uh, and 22% year-over-year urban growth. So the momentum continues into Q1. What do you read about the fact that more people are listing their homes on Airbnb or more investors are listing investment properties on Airbnb? Look, I, I, I think the macro um, could weigh on travel demand, but it's also a silver lining. We see Airbnb as a beneficiary as consumers trade down from higher price hotels, um, but also as, as hosts um, are seeking additional sources of income. Um, that the value proposition of Airbnb um, that they deliver has always resonated, and, and they're adding more tools and features to make hosting easier and, and pr- to provide transparency both for the, for the hosts and the guests in terms of costs. What, what did you hear from um, the executives at the company about rates heading into the rest of 2023? So ADRs um, should be down mid-single digits in 23. That does put pressure on, on uh, margins, but uh, continued variable cost efficiencies and, and fixed cost discipline uh, should offset that. We are seeing some, some margin pressure in Q1 as they pull some marketing dollars forward, um, but, but they think that's a, a timing issue and it's going to drive further uh, growth in the back half of the year and margin uh, expansion in the back half of the year. I recently just booked on Airbnb and I was uh, I noticed that they are pushing the experiences segment very hard for, for customers. How big a portion of their overall revenue stream are experiences? I think the important things with, with experience, and, and by the way, nights and experiences were up 20% year over year. Um, they're going to be up 20% again in Q1 as we lap uh, Omicron and, and Ukraine headwinds. The important thing about experiences is um, they're margin accretive. Uh, and, and if you think about things like experiences, uh, you go, you book a stay, um, you stay one night, but you may do multiple experiences uh, during that that one night, um, just as an example. And so it's important to watch that grow and it's growing healthily. Uh, you've raised your price target to 165. It was at 130. The stock closed at 120 yesterday, but it's on a tear in overnight trading again, up nine and a half percent. Brian Fitzgerald, nice to see you early this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Contessa. Still on deck, senators demanding more from the White House over the growing number of unidentified objects shot down over American airspace. The latest on what we know, what we don't know, when Worldwide Exchange returns. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Good Wednesday morning. Let's get to Washington news and Republican lawmakers calling on President Biden to speak publicly about the recent unidentified objects shot down over American airspace. Senators got formally briefed on the matter just days after receiving key information about the Chinese surveillance balloon that was shot down. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us with more now. Bree, what are you learning? 
Good morning, Contessa. Well, senators from both parties say President Biden should release more information publicly, saying that the Biden administration owes the American people an explanation about these flying objects. After recovering what military leaders are calling significant debris, including sensors and electronics from the Chinese spy balloon, crews continue searching for clues about the three still unidentified objects shot down by the U.S. These very well could be uh, balloons uh, of a completely benign nature, uh, perhaps uh, commercial uh, or scientific research. Senators are still demanding answers following Tuesday's classified briefing on the aerial objects. How can I tell you? not to worry about something if I can't tell you what it is. I am not in any way afraid that we are under a threat of attack or physical harm to our homeland. Some members of Congress are urging the administration to share more information with the American public. Now that this cow is out of the barn, uh, the president and the director of national intelligence needs to address it. The White House has been discussing whether to have President Biden deliver a national address, but there are no formal plans yet. There's a lot of information to assess. There's a lot of information to recover. And the administration is on top of this. Experts say the incidents involving the four high-altitude objects shot down from the sky have exposed a gap in the federal government's process. The intelligence community has been caught off guard by this whole set of uh, circumstances. The administration is expected to announce new protocols to deal with unidentified aircraft by the end of this week. And the Senate Commerce Committee will hear from the acting FAA administrator today, and the topic of these unidentified unmanned objects are expected to come up. Contessa? So, Brie, we're starting to get some numbers about what these missions actually cost. Yeah, Contessa, taking down these four objects have, has not been uh, inexpensive. It's cost taxpayers about $2.5 million. That's the low end of the estimate from the Air Force. They say each of those missiles used to take down the objects cost about $500,000. Uh, so this is, uh, uh, has been a costly, uh, a costly plan that the administration has taken on. Especially when one of the missiles lands harmlessly in Lake Huron to begin with. Bree, thank you. Let's get a check on the morning's other headlines now. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Philip, good morning. Hi, Contessa. Good morning. Hundreds gathered overnight for a vigil in Clawson, Michigan, at the high school where Alexandria Verner graduated before attending Michigan State University. She and two other students were killed in Monday's mass shooting. School leaders remembering her as someone who always had a positive word to say. We're also learning more about the gunman. A citizen ID'd 43-year-old Anthony McRae after police released these surveillance photos. Investigators are still working to determine a motive. McRae's father tells NBC News that his son turned, quote, evil and mean after his mother's death. New Mexico State University's chancellor announced he is firing men's basketball coach Greg Heyer. It comes days after the school canceled the remainder of the team's season following allegations of hazing in the program. The chancellor added the school is working to understand what happened and put systems in place to ensure it doesn't happen again. Finally, there's no stopping Jeremy Renner, the Marvel star sharing a recovery update to Instagram while promoting his upcoming Disney Plus series, Renovations. The Hawkeye actor joked that he's in the shop now and working on himself. It's been over a month now since a snowplow accident sent him to the ICU with more than 30 broken bones. He's been active on social media during his recovery. 
thanking his fans for their patience and support. That's it from here, Contessa. Well, he's got a lot of fans rooting for him. Philip, thank you for that. Still on deck here, a number of high-profile earnings, including Biogen, analog devices, and Cisco Systems. Full team coverage on the key items to watch for in these reports. Hey, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Fed heads stressing the need for further rate hikes to tackle inflation, but finding themselves divided on just how high to go. Futures pointing to a lower open. A fresh look at the economy with the consumer in focus. Dana Telsey lays out if continued price pressures take a bite out of retail sales. And thanks, but no thanks. Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz telling lawmakers he won't head to the Hill to answer questions about the coffee giant's labor issues. This is Wednesday, February 15th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up at half past the hour following that mixed session on the back of a higher than expected CPI report. We've got futures lower across the board. The S&P 500 looks like it will open down 16 points. The Dow Jones off by 81 and the Nasdaq implied opening down 62. And a check on the bond market on the back of that CPI data as well. The 10-year yield right now is at 3.734%. Meanwhile, the yield on the six-month Treasury is surging to its highest level since July 2007. You can see the yield on that, 5.028%. And let's hit oil. WTI and Brent both falling in Tuesday's session, breaking two days of gains. Right now you've got WTI off 1.5%, Brent off one and a third, and Nat Gas off a third of a percent. Let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Contessa, good morning. Apple is preparing to roll out its new buy now, pay later service in the coming days. And according to Bloomberg, the tech giant will be taking a much closer look at customers past spending as a part of its criteria for using the service. In addition, the report says Apple will also look at whether customers have applied for an Apple card as well as past spending on hardware and services, meaning customers with a good history of spending on Apple's devices at retail stores are more likely to be accepted. Congress will be shining a light on the FAA's role in recent system-wide issues impacting travel. The agency's acting administration is expected to tell a Senate committee holding a hearing on the January ground stop order that new safeguards adopted after that computer outage snarled thousands of flights will ensure a backup database will not be corrupted. That ground stop forced a halt to all U.S. departing flights for almost two hours for the first time since the September 11th attacks. And sticking with Congress, Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz reportedly declining an invite from nearly a dozen senators to testify at a hearing next month on the coffee giant's compliance with federal labor laws. According to Reuters, the company says Schultz, who rejoined Starbucks as interim CEO last April, will fully transition out of the role next month, adding another senior leader with ongoing responsibilities would be best suited to attend, Contessa. Lots of changes there. Oh, yes. Silvana, thank you. Let's turn to earnings now. A number of high-profile results on deck today, covering a wide swath of sectors from biotech to consumer goods, semiconductors, and communications technology. We have a complete team coverage this morning of some of the key reports 
And one big thing investors should look for, Meg Terrell is preparing for Biogen. Christina Partsinevelis is tracking analog devices. And Frank Holland is following Cisco systems. Let's start with Meg and Biogen. Meg? Well, good morning. The key thing for investors to watch with Biogen earnings are updates on the Alzheimer's drug Lakembi. It was approved by the FDA just a little more than a month ago, but it's really not expected to be widely used until Medicare makes a decision on paying for it. So any hints about the timing of that and other aspects of the launch will be closely watched. This will also be the first earnings call for new CEO Chris Wiebacher. And investors and analysts are eager to hear him lay out his strategy for returning Biogen to growth. The company's been a powerhouse with its multiple sclerosis drugs, but sales have been shrinking as that franchise ages. And missteps with Biogen's first Alzheimer's drug led to a management shakeup. Wiebacher is an industry veteran, and investors hope his experience can help turn the company around. Contessa? Meg, thank you for that. Let's send it to Christina Partsinevelis for a preview of analog devices earnings. Christina? Well, much like the entire semiconductor industry right now, the analog market is facing a cyclical correction due to weaker end-user demand in smartphones, PCs, not including auto, though. you got customer order trends moderating and shortages easing. Having said all of that, shares of analog devices still outperforming the S&P 500, even hitting a high yesterday we haven't seen since December 2021 all in anticipation for the earnings out this morning. We're expecting a Q1 earnings per share of $2.60 on revenues of $3.15 billion. Evercore ISI analysts believe that the analog group can move higher with Texas Instruments, another big player in the space. However, they prefer ADI since Texas Instruments is facing some gross margin pressure from all its capital investments. UBS also picking analog devices as one of its favorite ideas for the electrification shift. Contessa? And you can see that's up eight and a half percent. Christina, thank you. Let's wrap things up with Frank Holland with what to watch for for from Cisco Systems after the bell. Frank. Margin for both products and services are the big thing to watch in Cisco's Q2 report after the bell. Supply chain issues in China making it more difficult to source components. That's weighed on the networking systems maker, leading to the redesign of hundreds of products. Last quarter, the company said those issues were easing. And at the time, it appeared that China was fully reopening. Months later, that process is moving much slower than expected. Estimates for overall margin are at 63.4 percent. It's a proxy for efficiency in supply chain and sourcing. We will also be watching for any news about job cuts following the wave of layoffs at tech companies in recent months. Contessa, back over to you. Frank Collin, thank you for that. Coming up today, gearing up for the latest look at the consumer, we preview today's retail sales numbers and the potential impact of continued elevated inflation. First, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Louis Vuitton naming Pharrell Williams as its new menswear creative director. Pharrell's first collection for the label will be shown at Men's Fashion Week in Paris in June. Netflix removing its Surprise Me button from the platform. The feature introduced in 2021 randomly picked a title for viewers unsure of what to watch next. The company discontinued the feature last month because nobody was using it. And Carlos Slim, the 10th richest person in the world and the richest man in Mexico, putting his $80 million New York City mansion up for sale. The Fifth Avenue property was built during the Gilded Age and is one of the last remaining mansions along the street facing Central Park that's still privately owned. Slim originally purchased the mansion in 2010 for $44 million. Worldwide Exchange, back in just a minute. We get the latest snapshot on the U.S. consumer today with January retail sales out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. 
Following two straight months of decline, sales are expected to have rebounded last month, with forecasts calling for an increase of 1.9 percent and just a little under 1 percent when you exclude auto sales. The move is likely to reflect a boost in spending due to post-holiday clearance sales and a more favorable seasonal environment relative to November and December. Let's get more insight now and also a look ahead to earnings out next week from Walmart, Home Depot, TJ Maxx, and more with Dana Telsey, CEO and Chief Research Officer at the Telsey Advisory Group. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, First of all, uh, talk to me a little bit about the retail sales numbers you're expecting today and how that informs your outlook. Hi, Contessa. Thank you for having me. I think January retail sales today are certainly going to show an improvement from December. But January is not a real number. It's all about post-clearance sales. And you look at the comparison, it compares against a very easy Omicron-impacted sales from last year. As a result, I think you're still going to see that trade down continuing. We're seeing a focus on essentials given the uptick in prices of daily living expenses, as you saw yesterday coming out of the CPI number. I think one of the things with retailers looking ahead to earnings next week, inventory levels. I think inventory levels December and January came down significantly. And we're going to see retailers get inventories more aligned, particularly by the end of the first half of the year. So a better retail sales number in January, but really March is what's going to tell the whole story, given January and February were Omicron impacted. It sounds like when we get these earnings reports from Walmart and Home Depot and others, that you'll be listening more on the calls for the color about January and February and where we're heading into spring, that the, that the commentary on the, on the calls almost is more important to you. Oh, definitely, because that's the past. What happened during the holiday season, we know it was already a mixed holiday season that essentially met the low end of expectations. The go forward is what's much more important. Where's inventory? What's margins doing? I think there's more clarity on margins right now than sales, given the lapping of supply chain expenses, given the lapping of some of the FX headwinds, given the lapping of higher labor costs. So what's the setup as we go into the first and second half of the year in terms of inventory? And what are they seeing in terms of the pace of sales? I think that's going to be something to be watched very closely. Walmart has really outperformed on groceries and essential goods. What are you looking for out of this report? I want to hear what Walmart's going to say about the state of health of the consumer. I would expect that they're beginning to see even a greater wallet share from some of their upper end income consumers. I think that they've been seeing the $100,000 household income shop at Walmart also given the higher daily living expenses. Okay, what about TJX? TJX, it's about inventory. And I think they've been set up well in terms of inventory. They're typically one of the top five customers of many of the vendors. We know inventory levels are getting cleaner, but the footsteps and traffic into TJ because of their value offering and convenience is what matters. I think they're going to be one of the big winners for off price for 2023. You know, it's interesting when we're looking at Home Depot, there's so much to read into, like I suppose for Walmart as well. There's so much to look in for about the health of the overall economy. So talk to me a little bit about Home Depot and and which segments you think that they can really impress investors. I think one of the things, obviously, it's always sales. You want to hear how sales is. You want to hear about their guidance. What are they seeing in terms of their customer, whether it's the pros, whether it's remodels, whether it's new home sales, where are they going to have the most impact 
in being able not to only take share, but have sales increases leverage to the bottom line. That's what I want to hear about. When you saw the CPI print come out yesterday uh, and January uh, looks like it's up about half a percent over the previous month, and maybe, you know, the annual rate a little higher than what had been anticipated. What does that tell you about the health of the American consumer, Dana? I think overall the health of the, consu- of the consumer, it, they're still resilient. The labor market is strong, but they're cautiously watching their spending. We're seeing that focus on essentials, the fact that you have food running in such high increases. They're watching where they spend their dollar, and it continues to place pressure on some of the discretionary end. That discretionary end isn't spending on discretionary as much as they were last year. Dana Telsey, always good to talk to you. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you. As we head to break during February, we celebrate Black Heritage with some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and business leaders. Here's CNBC director, and a fellow twin mom, Elizabeth Donovan. Often in my career, I have been the first black woman to hold my position, sometimes the only black person. People will question everything you do and ask how you got here, as if not by hard work. When you are successful, you internalize to survive the spaces that were not made for us. My advice, be courageous, be bold, don't diminish your gifts. Today, you may be first, but hopefully tomorrow, you will be one of many. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour, at least on the East Coast. Here we go. Speaking at the World Government Summit in Dubai, Elon Musk says he expects to point a new CEO for Twitter by the end of this year. He says he needs to stabilize the organization first. Oh, that's what that was. Speaking of Musk, a new report details his frustrations during the Super Bowl that his tweets about the game weren't gaining enough traction on the platform. According to Platformer, Musk told Twitter engineers to shake up the algorithm to prioritize his tweets, even bypassing users' filters on him. It must have worked because my feed is filled with Elon Musk. Vice Media securing more than $30 million in debt financing from Fortress Investment Group, the financially strapped media group, has reportedly not paid some vendors and advisors in at least six months. And Chinese electric vehicle startup Jidu says it plans to embed Baidu's chat GPT-like product in its vehicles to help improve the user experience. Shares of Airbnb popping in the pre-market. Look at that, up nine, more than 9%. The short-term rental company posted its first annual profit ever last year, a little less than $2 billion. And big moves and even bigger funds in the final quarter of 2022. Among the key trades, David Tepper's Appaloosa buying into Disney and Caesars. Michael Burry adding new positions in JD.com and Alibaba. And Berkshire Hathaway slashing its stake in Taiwan Semiconductor by more than 85%. Gearing up for the trading day ahead and awaiting a batch of economic data, including those January retail sales figures that we just discussed, as well as the February Empire State Manufacturing, both out at 8.30 this morning. And on the earnings front, we get results from Biogen, Kraft Heinz, Cisco, Roku, AIG, and more. With that, let's get into the moves to make into the trading day ahead with Zachary Hill, Horizon Investments Head of Portfolio Management, and Ross Mayfield, Baird Investment Strategy Analyst. It's good to see both of you. Ross, 
let's start with you. Was there something in CPI for everybody? I think so. I mean, it's right in line. So if you're hawkish, you can take something away. If you're dovish, you can take something away. I think for the doves, the fact that housing was such a big component and we know that you know, real-time rental indicators are turning down. Housing is set to slow. I think that's something to take away. Core services, X housing, you know, wasn't soft, but it wasn't too strong either, which is the Fed's kind of wage gauge. Um, on the other side, you know, goods inflation has been pretty stubborn, and it, and it pushed uh, CPI a little higher today. I think for people who are a little hawkish, for people who expect rates to stay high for longer, the fact that goods inflation might not be a zero uh, forever going forward could be something that that keeps the Fed a a little bit uh, more hawkish, more aggressive than people would like to see. We're seeing futures lower across the board today, Zach. Uh, But yesterday, a mixed close on Wall Street. It almost as though the markets took this in its stride. Does Fed policy still matter at this point? Well, Contessa, of course, Fed policy still matters. But but I think, you know, the, the important thing for us as, as we look to this year is that just Fed policy matters a lot less now that policy is better balanced. You know, they're still they still have work to do. And certainly you've heard uh, Chair Powell and others talking about that over the last few weeks. Um, but, you know, we're just not in that situation where, um, you know, we're going to really get an edge by having a better understanding of the way the Fed is looking at things. So that was last year's trade. I think this year's trade is more about how the data evolve. Um, and how that interplays with this idea of, you know, we were focusing on growth for a long, we were focusing on inflation, and now we're focusing on growth. And now, and to, to you know, Ross's point about something for everybody, uh, we're kind of in that place where the market doesn't have any guidance on really what to focus on. And so I think that's where we are right now. Um, you know, we'll see how, how things play out, but that's, that's how we're thinking about it right now. If it's reaccelerating in the United States, where do you put the reopening in China? And, and both of you, I'd like to ask this question to where do you put the reopening in China in terms of fueling global growth? Zach? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a bigger deal, actually, than a lot of investors uh, realize. You know, we've had you know, the second largest economy basically offline for the last three years. And so, you know, seeing that roll through in the data, it's going to take uh, a couple months for it to, to show up in in actual economic data and then earnings data at, at the company by company level. Uh, but we do expect it to be something that's positive, you know, for the Asia region directly and then more broadly for, for the globe. Um, you know, if that coincides with a stronger U.S. economy, which, which I do think we are in that position as well because of how strong the consumer is, uh, you know, that could set up some issues for the Fed down the line, but that's not something that we're worried about right here today. Ross, what do you think? The the China reopening has been, in some sectors, very strong. We've seen that in Macau with casinos and travel. It looks like we're seeing pent-up demand similar to what we've seen in the United States. But overall, perhaps more muted, where do you place your investments where this reopening in China is concerned? Right. I mean, I think think that's exactly right. So you have... uh, a much larger consumer base, and you had a much longer and more stringent lockdown. So if you think about what the reopening was like in the U.S., and I think in a lot of ways, we're still seeing the effects of that with, you know, services spending continuing to be really strong, the the consumer sector continuing to spend. That's going to be, you know, kind of multiples of the effect in China, where, again, it's a bigger population and the lockdown was more stringent. So it will take time for that to play out. I think on the other side, you know, the, the manufacturing sector there has been plagued by lockdowns and uh, transportation issues, uh, shutdowns at ports, that largely will be behind us as well. So as far as U.S. companies that have um, you know, key supply chains and manufacturing there, I think that'll be a big benefit. On the other side, you know, 
as, as was mentioned, the Fed, it will help reflate some commodities, things like oil, um, you know, metals. So I think that could provide an issue for the Fed. But again, that's a longer term story, not as big a concern. And I think the global growth picture is brighter today because China reversed their uh, COVID zero policy. Let's talk about this recent rally we've seen. Uh, Zach, you say that um, you've got beaten down sectors, profitless tech and the most shorted and volatile stocks leading the rally in a big way. Do you think it reverses then at this point? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the common thought, right? You know, this people call this a junk rally, low quality. Uh, we we agree with that assessment. Um, you know, what I don't necessarily draw the inference to is that that means it's going to reverse. Um, you know, we are in that in that type of situation where having that really clear macro narrative um, that we had for all of last year is, is just not not easy to, to come by at the moment. And so, you know, in that case where the, you know, the picture is a little muddier than it is normally, you know, my bias is to look at things like positioning flows and, and sentiment. And, you know, what I see there is the market's pretty off sides um, and is likely to fuel uh, a continued rally. I mean, you know, specifically and just, you know, really short term here, uh, I'll be very interested to see how the market reacts to a, a um, retail sales print this morning. Um, you know, we, we know that the consumer has been reaccelerating. Uh, we get a better, um, you know, sales print and, you know, how stocks react to that, I think, could be very telling for how, uh, you know, investors are thinking about the outlook in the really short term. Are you, know. you are you positioning yourself in retail ahead of the earnings reports that we talked about just a little bit earlier, TJX, Walmart, Home Depot, among others? You know, we've we've pared back a lot of our defensive positioning within the U.S., um, but we're definitely not chasing this this kind of low quality rally that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do think valuations matter when interest rates are five percent. Um, you know, it's just a completely different environment than we've seen for the last ten or so years. Um, but we so we we but we pared back some of those defensive positionings just in light of this fact that you know the the dynamic that we were in last year just is, is not relevant. Um, and so we're taking selective risk, um, you know, across our portfolios. The, the main place we're doing that is internationally, though. All right, Ross, you get the last word. How are you positioning yourself? I think international is really interesting right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned valuation in a higher interest rate environment. Europe still looks quite cheap, and they've avoided kind of the worst-case scenario as far as an energy crisis. Um, but, but I agree. I mean, this rally is better pricing a soft landing. We think that's the right call. But from here, upside is, we think, fairly limited in the near term because it's hard to see valuation expand a ton with, again, rates at 5 percent and the Fed wanting to go higher. So we like cyclicals. We like the things that would benefit from a soft landing. We think the econ- economic picture is looking up, um, but maybe upside a little bit limited in the near term from here. Okay, Zachary Hill, Ross Mayfield, thank you. And thank you for watching us on Worldwide Exchange. That does it for us. I'm Contessa Brewer. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.